Good afternoon and welcome to Open Book. Today we bring you from the vault from the Pacifica Archives. Stay tuned. I'm Brian DeShazer, director of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and welcome to From the Vault, our weekly series that brings our history out of the vault and onto the radio. This week, we profile an artist and activist that has been connected with Pacifica Radio since 1969, Mr. John Trudell. See, we're not here to run high-tech economic slave states and pretend that that's not what's going on. We're here to take care of life. John Trudell is an acclaimed poet, recording artist, actor, and activist. Pacifica audiences became familiar with Trudell in 1969 as the communications director of the All Nations Occupation of Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. This is John Trudell welcoming you on behalf of the Indians of all tribes. John Trudell hosted the regular broadcasts of Radio Free Alcatraz, which began on December 22, 1969, and were heard on Pacifica Station KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, California, and the other Pacifica stations. In this first clip, we hear John Trudell tracing his involvement in the Alcatraz occupation from an interview recorded by Al Silbowitz in 1969 on the island. I stayed on reservation until I was about six five or six and then my family moved and I went back in 1961 15 I think and I stayed there until the summer of 1963 when I joined the Navy and I left and uh, since then I've just kind of I stayed in the Navy for four years after I got out of the Navy I went to work as a shoe salesman that lasted about four months and then I quit to go to school which I was doing when when the Alcatraz movement took place, so I stopped my dropped all my studies and moved up here, so I could work with this. What were you studying at the time? Uh, radio and television programming and production. It's fortunate we ran into you. Yes, <laughs> it. Uh, I find this to be much more satisfying than sitting in school learning. I mean, it. Uh, time to put into practice a little of what I picked up the last couple of years. How old are you, John? 23. And you have a family, I understand. Yes, I have uh, two little girls and we're expecting in August. Are all of you living on the island? Now? Yes, uh, we've been living on the island since, I guess it would be about the 5th of December. I came up the last weekend in November to kind of check the situation out. And I liked what I saw, so I went back to San Bernardino and got my family and kind of just dropped everything there and relocated up here. Our audience has come to understand that Alcatraz is kind of barren. There's not much in the way of food or water, and uh, electricity is uh, intermittent to say the best, and uh, there's no telephone service and so on. Uh, you said something to me some time ago about the fact that uh, for a reservation, it's actually in very good condition. Uh, yes. I know the... GSA and the public health department made the statement one time that they were going to have to rip us off the island because of improper sanitation facilities. But if they're going to take us off the island out there for that, then I think they're going to have to improve conditions on the reservations because although we have no central heating and we haven't got any steady electricity here, water is a problem. 
when the army stops giving us water, then we're going to run into some hassles. But even with all these problems, it's the same as being on the reservation. I've had people say that, well, it's really courageous for you, uh, you people to be doing this. But we've all been through it before, just a different place. It's the same game, just has a different name now. Uh, Alcatraz is nothing but a rock to many people. But it's our rock, and we can develop it, and we can make things work for the Indian people. So it's more than just a rock to us. It's it's uh, maybe a stepping stone to a better future. We like to think of it as. I've heard many Indians now saying that the Alcatraz invasion is the Alcatraz movement. What does that mean? Well, I'd say that the Alcatraz movement is uh, always what what we have with Alcatraz. We have a chance to unite the American Indian people as they've never been united before or never had the opportunity to do. Because... uh, when we were still fighting with the United States government, the government put in a policy in effect that they would break down the Indian people so that they would never become a threat, never be able to fight the United States government again. And part of this program was to break down the Indian nations, break down the tribes, break down the families, break down the individuals, give us nothing constructive to do, and then time will take care of the rest. And also to exploit the divisions between the tribes. The yes, it's just so many small pit groups. man against man, and family against family, tribe against tribe. Because there are, many, there are many tribes in the United States, and many of us East Coast Indians didn't know anything about the, the Plains Indians or they about the West Coast Indians. So, I mean, we have many cultural different backgrounds, just the way we're, we were situated geographically. And so it's been easy for the government to, once they accomplish this, taking children away from their families and sending them off to school, so to break down the family unity, tore down our religion, took everything we had except uh, our pride in being Indian, something they can't take. And now we have, uh, I like to think we've never been defeated. Maybe we've been stopped for a while, but we haven't been defeated. And I think this is one way of showing it. You can you can kick a dog so long, and then the dog's either going to die or get up and bite you, and we're not ready to die. Can you remember the time that you have held your head high? Trudell would go on to become the chairman of the American Indian Movement from 1973 to 1979, when a fire of unknown origin killed his wife, three daughters, and mother-in-law in 1979, John turned to poetry to help deal with his grief. Trudell would begin touring internationally to read poetry and perform music. Pacifica radio station KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles recorded John Trudell in Long Beach, California in 1992 following the election of President Bill Clinton. 
Thank you. If I say anything that you don't agree with, it's just a difference of opinion. Because I've been watching this stuff go on about the elections. And see, I, I equate this whole election thing to like the Berlin Wall coming down, saying everyone was happy because they had freedom. See, but economic collapse followed their wall coming down. See, and I, and I look here in America and I think, I wonder if people really understand what's happening here. You know, um, I'm not questioning Clinton, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. But the realities, the baby boomers have now seized um, the symbols of political power, the White House, just by age. I mean, just the natural flow of events at some point in history we would, through the aging process, start to fill these positions. And so we've now reached a point where we have the symbols of political power, such as the White House. But there's another reality here. And the other reality is about economic power. See, and we have not, we have not achieved the economic power. And in the 60s, when we rebelled, we were young and idealistic and said we wanted a better way. So we did whatever we could. We were young, idealistic, not experienced. But that rebellion came because basically the whites were more affluent than they had ever been before. And out of that affluency, they be wanted to become kinder as a culture. And when Warmaker Predator understood the reality of this and they looked at the numbers, we were the baby boom, we were the large we were the majority, we are the majority, but we were the majority for the next forty years. We were the workforce. They had to they had to subdue us because we were were then and still to this day remain dangerous but what they did was they started redistribution of the wealth because it's based upon affluency for the whites so the redistribution of the wealth took place through the form of what they called the first energy crisis and they put Nixon out there for everyone to worry about government criminality and government and no one was paying attention no one was paying attention to the fact that the cost of living in the country just kind of basically doubled and they blamed it on the Arabs, and no one paid attention to the fact that the energy companies made untold, unimaginable dollars worth of profits, and no one asked any questions. But it was the first step towards the redistribution of the wealth, because we, at some point, by aging, are going to assume certain positions, just however the poll is. The second redistribution point of the wealth was when they deregulated the savings and loans. And they call it a scandal. But what it was, it was an act of treason. It was a political crime with a political, with a criminal mask looting the national treasury of the United States. The realities. And as a result of that looting, and the looting that went through the energy crisis, and the spent, and the pouring of money into war and aggressive behavior, they have created these, what they call these trillion dollar debts. See, so now you have the Messiah 
the Messiah is Clinton. And the people are going to be quick to turn on the Messiah because that's the way this program is programmed. Because no one is taking the time to understand. See, and it's a serious situation. See, it's, it's like, to me, they have created, it's the neon fiefdom. The serf and the peasant. The worker, the unemployed. <laughs> the royalty. The outlaw princes. You see them in political office, the bushes and them, they're looting. <laughs> Part of the looting, the boys. See, all of this conduct and the people. See, so nothing has changed. Absolutely, the terminology and the technology and the forms of social patterns have changed and the generations have changed. But this thing that has been feeding off, off of the essence of the human beings for the last, I don't know, it's thousands of years now, this energy that feeds off of, the, feeds off of our essence. We are human beings, but there's this energy there. And it lives, in our, it lives in the mindset. Columbus came to the Western Hemisphere. Columbus, it was not about, to us, it's not about discovery. It's not about whether he was a good man or a bad man. To me, the reality is he was a disease. And the disease, it's like a diseased spirit. And the disease of this spirit lives in the mindset. It affects how one perceives reality. And the, and the symptoms of the disease are, it's a possessed spirit. Now, we look at this virus, this, this infection that came, and it came to a hemisphere and a land base that was uninfected, and the disease spreads through its aggressive behavior patterns. But we look at the carrier of the disease that came here. See, Well, you look at his society, the whole society was diseased because they were owned. They were owned, everyone was owned by someone else. Everyone had someone higher than him. Everyone was owned by someone else. It was all so very material or materially oriented all concepts and perceptions were oriented towards the material concepts of ownership so there was they had great religions and they had great laws and they had great civilizations and they had many great things but they had no spiritual reality so this disease we know that this disease eats the spirit in order for there to be a dependency and a need for these external illusions and symbols of power so within this generation and in this time, it's, it's, demo, it's democracy and communism and socialism and fascism and all of these little things, all these little industrial controlling mechanisms. Now, so when we look at, when we look at us, see, they want us to think that our generation, see, that, see the reality I perceive is it's we, we, we were young and inexperienced. And I don't think that we lose our innocence. See, what we do is we experience it. Our innocence gets experienced, and its forms change. And it's like our idealism. See, I think that it gets experienced. But if we allow this predator to tell us that we are not here, and we believe him, then we are not here. It's with our minds. But for our generation, and in this time, we all have responsibility. We are the ancestors and the descendants simultaneously, it's in our DNA. We are the past and the future, we're just here in the present. And so it's how we fulfill our responsibilities towards taking care of the past and the future through the present. That says how all of this is going to go. Now the spread of energy, it minds our minds, 
to get at our spirit, our essence. Same way it mines old fossils out of the earth and turns these old fossils into fuel to run the energy-consuming machines that we are addicted to now. Well, in order for there to be a need for that whole type and concept and rationalization and definition, then something had to be taken from us because we were total. So they mine our spirits. civilized behavioral notoriety. The more evil the empire, the more paranoid the society. Building to the new world order, we're expected to carry the stone. Emperors and the feeding class, human beings being used up fast. Intelligence is the mother load. Imagination as an energy source in this predator's way of dying. Defining how and what we think as we're led to the way to believe. Conditioned reaction we call thought. Our reality guides in how we perceive. being lost and alone, who runs from their doubt and fear, in the mask of everything's normal, who is not feeling or seeing too clear. You are listening to From the Vault, the original weekly series produced by the Pacifica Radio Archives. This week, we're profiling poet, musician, actor, and activist John Trudell. For a copy of this program or to browse the other programs in the series, go to fromthevaultradio.org or call us in the archives at 1-800-735-0230. Next, we hear from John Trudell, recorded in 1994 at the California State University in Hayward. We're all children of Earth, and because of our responsibilities, it's about the DNA, the ancestors and the descendants, us. We have the ability and the responsibility. Well, actually, we have the, re- we have the responsibility, therefore we have the ability to take care of of the life that this planet is all about. See, and that is why we're here. (laughs) See, we're not here to run high-tech economic slave states and pretend that that's not what's going on. We're not here 
to mentally beat one another up or be abusive towards one another or ourselves. That's not why we're here. We're here to take care of life. We need to understand about our spirit. We have a spirit. We are spirit. But see, the religious mindset of the male dominating God doesn't recognize spirit. It recognizes religion and authority and chain of command and obedience. But it doesn't recognize spirit. When we are born, enter into this reality, we are told. We are not told about spiritual realities. We are told about religious realities. We are not taught about respect and responsibility. We're taught about obedience and submission. We're not taught about our effect in the universe and how our responsibilities are in life. We are taught that we are guilty about the guilt, the sin, and the blame. We are not taught to appreciate life. We are taught to fear God. It's like the democracy. The democracy. To me, in a very, what, I, what to me will be a coherent fashion. Why do the women in this country support the democracy? Why do the white males who do not own property support the democracy? Why do the black people support the democracy? I come from a tribe. The tribes, the tribes, the tribes. Democracy, the whole concept of majority rule, reduced us to the smallest numerical minority. And everybody gives democracy the big rah-rah. Hunted us down and killed us right in through this generation. Has not relented one little bit. So I know why the tribes aren't real <laughs> open to it. Now let's look. Take this case. We need to make changes in this world within ourselves so we can take care of our ancestor descendant responsibilities. We need to become coherent. We need to become coherent enough to feel good enough about ourselves to know that we can challenge and question these concepts of democracy and the chains without having to be afraid. Now back to this. All my adult life, I've seen all the things. I mean, I've seen a lot of things. I haven't seen all the things. <laughs> but the anti-war and the women's rights in, in the 60s, the 70s, the, the all, all, right? And everybody was doing it in the context of Basically, in the context of the defined demo illusionary or theoretical democracy, but they wanted to save the democracy. See, while everybody's been busy saving the democracy, the problems we're facing get worse and worse. In the last 20 years, 
The manipulation of the economics, just the manipulation of the economics have enslaved our future generations for the next six or seven. While everyone's busy saving the democracy, it continues to hide its nuclear and poison toxic waste. It tries to put it on our lands, but it's distributing it somewhere. While everyone's busy trying to save the democracy. All right, back to the founding papers. <laughs> See, women didn't have the right to vote on what the democracy was going to be all about because they weren't intelligent enough. So it's written there, they can't vote. <laughs> right? <laughs> when, they, when the men, when the dead white males, I mean the now dead white males sat down and they made up the rules that everyone was going to embrace. <laughs> and blacks couldn't because they were property. And white males couldn't, they couldn't vote on it because they didn't have any property. <laughs> they didn't have any property. So they had no value. And the Indians couldn't because, and incidentally the Indians were the majority, so they just called them the enemy. <laughs> so we need to find a way to trust ourselves enough to know that what we think and what we know is right. What we know is right. And we all, it'll all be perceived a little differently amongst us and because we're all different, we all see reality a little bit differently because we're individuals. But there's a basic knowledge that we have inside of us about what is right and what is not. We have the ability to look at the situation much more coherently than we do. I mean, than we currently look at it. We have the ability to do it. Because one interesting thing about the creative process and use of the mind and our creative ability, because we are creative entities. We all are, every one of us. You know, like if we have a miserable, neurotic life, then we're creating it. That's what we're using our creative energy to do. <laughs> it isn't like the brain is dead and this is just happening of its own will. <laughs> so to understand that. So it's just how we decide to use our creative ability to see. It doesn't guarantee instant happiness or all the answers, but what it does, it starts to clear up the reality a little bit. It starts to clear it up a little bit. See, and the more we clear up what's going on, the more coherently we can see. The more clearly we can see, the more coherently we will conduct ourselves. Because it's a mindset. It has to be, it is how we use our minds. It is how we use our minds. Because the whole thing is a lie. Its whole definitions of power, defines greed and brutality as power, it's all a lie. Its concepts of justice, all a lie. Justice, tell me about justice. How do you undo the wrong? So how, what's this about justice? It's all a lie. See, but the lie is acceptable because they have taken everyone, well, they've taken the society collectively and turned it into what you call a consumer society, but in my view I call a junkie society. See, their needles are different. <laughs> you know? And what they're shooting up their arm, or up their soul, or up their spirit with, it's just different form. And that does it for this week's edition of From the Vault. 
The series is produced by Brian DeShazer and Mark Torres and executive produced by the Pacifica Radio Archives and Brian DeShazer. This week's episode is written and produced by Mark Torres. We are now streaming and podcasting online at fromthevaultradio.org. Thanks to all the Pacifica listeners who joined our campus campaign and sponsored over 700 schools with our From the Vault series. For more information about that project or anything about our historic collection, call the Pacifica Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or visit us online at pacificaradioarchives.org. From the Vault is presented as part of the Pacifica Radio Archives Preservation and Access Project, which is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts and grants from the Grammy Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the University of California Berkeley's Moffett Library, the Pacifica Foundation, and from contributions from Pacifica Station listeners. The music you heard in today's program included Buffy St. Marie from December 12, 1969 at Stanford Chapel at a benefit for the Indians on Alcatraz. We also heard Bone Day Carry the Stone, and Crazy Horse from John Trudell's 2002 release, Bone Days, produced by Angelina Jolie. Our theme music is by Kevin Drum Holiday. I'm Brian DeShazer, and thanks for listening. Summertime brings back a lot of memories for me. Summertime foods like barbecue and Fritos covered with chilies in Exposition Park. Long drives with the windows down and the wind blowing through my afro. And music of Billy Stewart comes to mind. Of course, a more recent memory is taking time out for the KPFA Summer Fun Drive. This year it's July 26th through August 2nd. And as always, the success of the drive depends on you, our listeners. You can subscribe early by going to kpfa.org. And in doing so, 